turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament, and so it's easy to find. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Before we get there, let me explain something to you. Many of you guys know that we are doing a series here at Thrive. It's called Greater. Everyone say Greater. And this series is all about stepping into a greater version of yourself this coming year. It's because we really believe here at Thrive is that God wants you to step into a greater version of you this coming year. It's a more resilient you. It's a kinder you. It's a wiser you. It's a more effective you. It's a more loving you. It's a more forgiving you. It's a more persevering you. If you believe that, say amen. And that's what the series is all about, is how do you step into the greater version of who God made you to be? And that's what the series is all about, called Greater. Have you enjoyed the series so far? We've had an amazing time going through the series together, talking about things like gratitude, how the greater version of you is a thankful version of you. We talked about perseverance, how you know the greater version of you is one that is persevering, that doesn't give up easily. We talked about how the greater version of you is one that's not afraid to fail. You'll take risks because it's the doer that makes mistakes. And so if you want to get anything done, you need to be not afraid to fail. Talked about all sorts of things, how to have peace, how to be a more peaceful person. Uh, today, we are finishing off this series. Everyone say, oh. Uh, we are finishing off this series. Uh, I know a lot of you are like, oh, I wish this series would never end. The fact is this, is that here at Thrive, our whole theme for this coming year is greater. And so just because we're finishing off the series today, the fact is this, is that over the next several weeks, months into the new year, we're going to continue to talk about how you and I and how we as a church can step into that greater version of ourselves that God made us to be. And so stick around. If you've been here just for this series, come back next week and come back next year because the best is yet to come. If you believe us, say amen. 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 So speaking of greater, let's go into the final message of our greater series. And this message I call, No Wonder You're Tired. No Wonder You're Tired. Would you turn to your neighbor and with the most empathetic, most compassionate tone of voice that you have, could you look, look, look at them in their eyes and go, No Wonder You're Tired. Oh, that's good. Oh, you guys are so empathetic. What an empathetic church you guys are. No wonder you're tired. Would you look with me at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, and would you read this with me in a big, loud voice? Uh, this is Jesus' words. Let's speak it out right now. What does it say? It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, the message I'm here to share with you is called, No Wonder You're Tired. I Let me tell you this, is my four-month-old son, his name is Caleb, he's a joy in our lives. Bradley, our older son, is also a big joy in our lives as well. But uh, one thing that we've noticed about Caleb, he's only four months old, but he smiles a lot. He smiles so much. In fact, I don't know any four-month-old that smiles as much as he does. And in fact, I don't know if this is the first time he ever smiled, but there was a time when the first time I saw him smile, I got to catch it on film. And so this is what that looks like. That was his first, to me, at least to my memory, the first time I remember Caleb ever smiling. That is a picture of him smiling. And that wasn't the only time. Since that time, we found he smiles a lot. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot for him to smile. Here's another picture of him as well. This is on FaceTime. He's smiling 
there. This is a more recent photo I think we took just last week of him smiling as well. Just loves to smile, loves to smile. But let me tell you, this past week, it was Remembrance Day weekend, and we decided on the Monday, because Monday was a stat holiday, is that uh, my family would take some family photos together. We went to a park. We got a photographer, a professional one, to meet with us. And it so happened that our photography session was right in the middle of Caleb's nap time. And so on that day, we're expecting that we're going to be all smiles, but then unfortunately we had to wake him up from his nap. And because, you know, he had to wake up from his nap and he wasn't that well rested, he wasn't that tired, wasn't, was kind of tired, as a result, did he smile very much? No, he didn't smile very much. In fact, he didn't smile at all. In fact, this is what he looked like, I think, on that day. Just not really that uh, smiley because he was tired. And uh, it felt more like doing passport photos that day, where you can look at the screen or you look at the camera, look at the lens, but you don't smile. And, and uh, we don't know what the, the pictures will look like, but he's cute no matter what, and we look forward to seeing what those pictures look like. Uh, but why do I mention that? It's because it's not just infants who don't feel like they want to smile when they're tired. Uh, adults go through that as well. And the fact is, I don't know about you, but I find this is what I'm not well-rested, I'm more irritable. When I'm not well-rested, I'm less compassionate. When I'm not well-rested, I'm prone to making bad decisions. When I'm not well-rested, I might be prone to saying things that maybe I will regret later on. And that's why we're talking today about no wonder you're tired. It's because I want to tell you today, talking about the greater version of you that wants to rise up from you this coming year, why don't you write this down? The greater version or the more effective version of you is the rested version of you. Can I go to get, can I go to get, get a good amen? Amen, amen. You can respond before I ask for that amen. It's about being proactive. The more effective version of you is the rested version of you. I really believe this, is that to be at your best, you need to get rest. So my question for you today is this. Are you in need of rest? The greater version of you, I really believe, is this, is the one that knows the importance of rest, that knows how to get the rest that you need, as in, and is intentional about getting that rest. And that's why today we want to talk about getting the rest that you need, because so, it's so crucial to stepping into that greater version of who God made you to be. But the rest that I want to talk to you about today is not physical rest. I'm not talking about, oh, go and take a nap or go and sleep more. The rest that I want to talk to you today is about something even more important than physical rest. Jesus calls it in Matthew 11, rest for the soul. Rest for the soul. See, i got to tell you this, is that not all fatigue is equal. There are different types of fatigue you will go through, and they're not equal. For example, I can be tired after a workout and feel really good about that. I can be tired at the end of a productive day and feel really good about that. I can be tired after a day of preaching a couple services and baptizing people and feel really good about it. But there is a fatigue that is worse than physical fatigue. It's what we call a weariness of the soul. It's where you don't really enjoy life anymore. It's where you've maybe forgotten if there's anything to be excited about anymore. It's the worst kind of fatigue because it's not a fatigue of your body. It's the fatigue of the soul. It's where you don't even really think you want to live another day. That's the kind of fatigue we're talking about today. How do you know if you need rest for the soul? Let me give you four or five clues that you need rest for the soul. Clue number one, you're lacking joy. 
is that you may be faithfully doing your responsibilities, doing what you're supposed to be doing, but there's not a whole lot of joy attached to it. You're not whistling while you go to work anymore. Maybe at one time you're really excited, but the joy has kind of gone away from that. You're more tired now. You don't laugh as much. You don't smile as much. You're not as playful as you used to be. You complain a lot more. Life is a little bit more blah than yay. That's you. It's you're lacking joy. Number two, another clue that you may be lacking spiritual rest or rest for the soul is that you lack self-control is that you find that, especially around this time of year, that you're having really uh, quite a hard time resisting temptation. You find that you lose your cool more quickly. You find that you give in to your appetites more quickly. And you're just not as self-controlled as maybe you normally are or would like to be. If that's you, then that's an indication that you are probably lacking rest for the soul. Clue number three is that you are easily bothered by little things. Is that you? Is that you're irritable? You lose your patience quickly. You're easily bothered by things that you know in the grand scheme of things, probably not a big deal, but it is such a big deal that he cut me off just now. Or it is such a big deal that, you know, that, 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 that thing didn't go my way. And you know deep down that probably it's not a big deal, but you're so wrapped up in it. That's a clue that you need rest for your soul. Here's clue number four, is that your relationship with God feels distant and cold that you can't remember the last time you heard God's voice. You can't remember the last time you felt God's presence. You know God is there, but you don't feel that close to him at all. If that's you, then that's an indication that you need rest for your soul. Number five, last clue for today, is you're lacking hope for the future. Is that there's a part of you that feels lost right now. There's a part of you that feels aimless, that you don't know what your purpose is right now. In fact, I read the story back in the 1930s. There was a judge, a very famous judge in New York City, he was in the prime of his life, only 45 years old. And one day they said that the last time they ever saw this judge, he was coming out of the building, he was walking on the sidewalk, he grabbed a cab, he took the cab, he left in the cab, and that's the last time people saw him. And when people got to his apartment, uh, you know, this man, he had a family, he had, uh, you know, had everything going for him, it seemed. And at 45 years old, at the prime of his life, he disappeared. They went to his, uh, his apartment, they saw on his dining room table, there was a note. The note said, honey, I'm just very, very, very tired. And he signed it. And underneath the note, there was a wad of cash. And no one ever knew for sure what happened to him. A lot of police officers went and did an investigation. Was it a homicide? Was it a murder? But there are more and more people are suspecting that it probably wasn't any of those things, that probably what happened was this guy started to lose hope for the future. He couldn't really see why he was living anymore, and he ended up giving up in uh, a very tragic way by committing suicide. And see, here's the thing. If you find that you lack rest in any of these clues or any of these ways we're talking about, then this message is for you. What can you do if you lack rest for the soul? Let me tell you this. Rest for the soul and physical rest are two different things. They're two different things. You can sleep all day and still lack rest for the soul. You can sleep all winter and still lack rest for your soul. You can stare at a screen playing video games till 2 a.m. and you can still lack rest for your soul. You can binge on Netflix or Korean dramas and still lack rest for your soul. You can go to a spa and get your mani and your petty and your facey and whatever else you like to get at a spa and still lack rest for your soul. You can go on a two-week vacation to an exotic, tropical place and come back and still feel like you lack rest for your soul. Why? It's because rest for your soul and physical rest are not the same thing. In fact, you could be physically tired, but if you have rest for your soul, you'll find that you still enjoy life. 
You still have that. You can still keep on going because physical rest and rest for the soul are two different things. And if you're trying today to get rest for your soul by binging on, you know, Netflix or binging on video games or just like sleeping it off, you're going to find this. No wonder you're still tired. It's because rest for the soul and physical rest are two different things. And so the question is, how do you find rest for your soul? Let me tell you this. The world cannot offer you rest for your soul, but Jesus Christ can. Jesus, in fact, when you read him and read about him in scripture, you'll find that Jesus is a champion for rest. Is that when he himself was, you know, living on this earth and when he was ministering to people, you know what he would do? He would work hard. In fact, no one worked harder than Jesus. No one was more productive than Jesus. No one was more effective than Jesus. But part of the reason why he was so productive, part of the reason why he could work so hard, part of the reason why he was so effective was because he prioritized rest is that he would preach long days, teach long nights, but he would always make sure I need to spend time with my father. He would go up to a mountain, to a lonely place, and just spend time there because he knew he needed rest. He didn't just do that for himself, but he did that for his disciples as well. There would be times when his disciples would be serving, and it would be a long day ministering to people, and Jesus would take the initiative and go, hey, guys, come here, come here, come here. Let's go off to some place by ourselves, and let's just get some rest together. It's because he knew Jesus understood something, which is if you want to be at your best, you need rest. Is that the most effective version of you is a rested version of you. And that's why Jesus prioritized rest. In fact, today, I want to take you to some of the most famous words Jesus ever spoke, and they're talking about rest. And see, Matthew chapter 11, 23, or 28 to 30, you'll see it on postcards, you'll see it on posters, you'll see it on bookmarks, you'll see it on plaques and paintings. Come to me, all you who are weary and laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You know, and, and they'll say all these things. And this is the thing. This is Jesus's recipe for rest. But what does it exactly mean? We're going to talk about that today. Because rest for your soul is so important, you can't afford not to know how to get it. So let's talk about that right now. Two things that you and I want to do if we want to find rest for our soul. The first comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look at at it and read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Stop right there. Would you underline these three important words at the very beginning? You can highlight these three words. Come to me. Come to me. By the way, I don't know if you use a, a, a digital Bible on your device. I find this is that I find it is still easier to mark up and highlight my Bible if I use a paper Bible. Do you guys find that? I, maybe you've got a, a version of the Bible on your, uh, on, on your phone that you find it's really easy to kind of highlight not just a verse but like specific words. If you do, could you show me what that is? Because I've yet to find one. I've yet to find one that's really good. So I encourage you, if you want to be a serious student of God's word, I encourage you to find a way that you can highlight specific words. And the three specific words I want you to highlight today are, come to me. Everyone say, come to me. See, what's the lesson here? You can write this down. If you want to find rest for your soul, spend time in God's presence. Spend time in God's presence. See, we talked about this three, four weeks ago in the message I called Peace 
that's greater than your problem. How when you are anxious, when you are worried, God wants to give you a peace that's greater than your problem. And how you experience that peace is you honestly tell God your troubles. You surrender your problem to God. You do the give up or the give it up. You say, God, I give that situation up to you. I surrender it to you. You give thanks to God. Because when you come to God, when you come to Jesus this way, there is a measure of rest and peace that you can receive that you will not get from doing anything else. If you believe it, say amen. In fact, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that's why it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's because when we come to Jesus, we have a peace and a rest for our soul. And see, here's the thing. Aren't you glad that God doesn't require you to be at your best before you come to him? He doesn't require that you put on your makeup or do your performance before you can come to him. But you could be in your worst condition. You could be stressed out of your mind. You could be burnt out. You could be worried. You can be mad. You can be frustrated. You could be burdened. And Jesus invites you and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That is the amazing, unconditional love of God. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. That's the way that he loves you and he loves me. And because... Spending time in God's presence is so key to finding rest for your soul. That's why here at Thrive, we try to give you as many opportunities as possible to spend time in God's presence. And that includes you know, our weekend worship services. That includes small groups each week. That includes our midweek prayer meeting. That includes you know, our, 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 our game time sessions that we'll have every single day where we look into the Bible and we pray together. We want you guys as a church to make the most out of every one of these opportunities. Spend quality time with God because it's in spending quality time with God that you find rest for your soul. And see, I, 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 can, I can't... So stop counting the number of times when I'll get uh, this, uh, you know, story from people is that there'll be like a, a married couple um, or like a, a dating couple and they'll be like bickering in the car, maybe even like full out arguing in the car on their way to church. Maybe something happened. They're like, how can you do that? How can you be doing that? And they're like, come on, it's time, it's time to go to church. Let's go to church. Come on, let's go to church. And then you, you just, they, they slam the doors. They're like, come on, let's go, let's go. And then they, 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 they get into the service. And yet at the end of the service, when I see them again, they're walking out of the service and they're holding hands. And they might be laughing a little bit. Oh, I can't believe we, we're like go, going after each other with, you know, about such a small thing. And what is that? That's the power of coming to Jesus. That's the power of spending time in his presence, is that when you spend time in his presence, he gives you rest for your soul. And so my question for you today is this, are you spending time in God's presence? How often do you spend time in God's presence? Because if you are not spending time in God's presence, if you're not making God's presence and time in God's presence your priority, then no wonder you're tired. No wonder you're tired. See, that's why I want to encourage you to make the most out of every opportunity to spend time in God's presence. Have a daily time with God. Read your Bible. Learn to pray. Do TDS 1. Do TDS 2. You know, come to our prayer meeting this Wednesday. A lot of people think that our midweek prayer meeting, oh, it must be for spiritual giants. It must be for people who really can pray like hours and hours and hours. No, no, no. See, prayer meeting is not for the super spiritual. Prayer meeting, including this Wednesday's prayer meeting, is for people who simply need spiritual rest. It's for people who want to grow in the relationship with God. It's for people who need rest for their soul. And so if you are someone here and you need rest for your soul, can I encourage you? Make the most out of every opportunity to spend time in God's presence. Come to our prayer meeting this coming Wednesday. It will be so, so good for you, and you will not regret it. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, spend time in God's presence. 
Spend time in God's presence. That's the first thing that we need if we want to find rest for our souls is spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his presence. Amazing, thing happen, amazing things happen when we do so. Second thing that Jesus tells us to do if we want to experience rest for our soul, and this one is a bit harder to understand, and so we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one today. I want you to read verse 29 with me right now. Could you read in a big, loud voice? Read it with me, big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you highlight these words? Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. See, Jesus says, if you want to find rest for your soul, then you need to take his yoke upon you. But what does that mean? When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what is he talking about? We're going to talk about that today. See, first you got to understand what a yoke is. Not an egg yoke, but a yoke, Y-O-K-E, is a tool usually made out of wood that farmers will use to keep two animals together, usually cows, usually oxen, so that they're walking in the same direction. In fact, here's a picture of a yoke right now. Often made out of wood, put over an animal or a pair of animals to keep them together so they're walking in the same direction. See, Jesus, when he says, take my yoke upon you, the fact is, is you can probably guess that Jesus knows something about yokes. Why? It's not because he was a farmer. It's because Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus grew up in a carpenter's house. And so he was probably used to building yokes for farmers. And so very, very well be that before Jesus was known as, hey, that's the guy who healed my son. Or, hey, that's the guy who preached that message that's changed my life. Before any of that, he was probably, hey, that's the guy who built that amazing yoke for me, and I'm still using it to this day. And, and, and I don't know, maybe he, haven't even, he even had an inscription on the yoke, like kind of Yahweh's yokes. Or you know, Yeshua's yokes. Or Joseph's yokes. Because Jesus very likely had made yokes himself. And what's the point of a yoke? The point of a yoke is to keep two animals together so they're going in the same direction. Let me get a, a, a volunteer right now here. Let's see. Okay. Uh, can I ask Jorge? Jorge, would you mind just coming up right now? Let's give Jorge a big hand right now. Can we give Jorge a big hand? Praise God. Okay. Thanks so much, Jorge. This was not planned at all, okay? But, uh, all right, here we go. Jorge, why don't you, why don't you stand to my, my left here, okay? Uh, and I'm going to pretend that this very Canadian hockey stick is actually a very Jewish yoke, okay? Okay, and so we're going to put this on, and we're going to pretend that, uh, you know, we, Jorge and I, are two very good-looking animals. And we are. It's just, you know, this is where just, uh, th- this is just the truth. But the fact is that uh, we're going to pretend that, uh, that Jorge is an oxen. I'm an oxen as well. Okay. Uh, uh, Jorge, can you give your best uh, oxen uh, sound right now? <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't know if I can even match that. So that's great. And so you know what happens? is that They, they, they would say this, is that when it came to farming uh, in Jesus' time, what they would do is they'd place a yoke over the oxen, two pair of oxen. And they would often even do this, is that the younger less experienced oxen that need to be trained, they'd match it with an older, more experienced, stronger oxen. So I'm going to be the younger, uh, less experienced oxen. Uh, Jorge's going to be the older, stronger, more experienced oxen. And what would happen is they would match them together and they would walk together. They would walk together. And when the younger, more exper- the, the younger, less experienced oxen felt tired or fatigued, 
because he's yoked to the older, more experienced, stronger oxen, they could still keep on going because the older oxen would keep on going forward. Come on, you keep on going forward. He would keep on going forward, and this younger oxen would learn to rely on the older oxen. This younger oxen would learn to go at the pace of the older oxen. The younger oxen would learn to have the strength of the older oxen because they are yoked together. Would you give Jorge a big hand here in this place? You did an awesome job. You did an awesome job. Thank you, Jorge. And see, what's the picture there? The picture is this, is that when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of relationship. Take my yoke upon you means that Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus wants to be that older, stronger, more experienced oxen who can come by your side and he can carry the burden together with you. You were not made to carry that burden on your own. Jesus came so that you would have a burden bearer. You would have someone who could stand beside you and you can walk together. And when you are weak, he is strong. When you're in need, he's your supply. When you are needing to learn, he's there to train you. It's because Jesus is saying it's about relationship. Everyone say relationship. See, that's what we're talking about today, is that if you want to experience rest for your soul, it's about learning to have a relationship with Jesus. Amazing things happen when we decide to take Jesus' yoke, to stand with him, and have a relationship with him. And see, I want to tell you this today. Today we had a number of people getting baptized, and a number of them shared their stories. It's just a very touching story. I wish we could have every single person who shared their testimony to, to share it today. We've just got just time for one today. We're going to ask Ricky to share a little bit today about the difference that a relationship with Jesus has made in his life. And so would you please join me? He just got baptized uh, a few minutes ago. He's going to share story right now. Let's give Ricky a big hand right now. Come on. Hi guys, my name is Ricky and I'm here to share my testimony. I was born and raised in a Christian family. I went to church every Friday for small groups and every Sunday for worship. But going to church does not mean I am a Christian. I would say I accepted Jesus as my savior just because I went to church. I did not realize how he impacted my family until I got older. When I was five years old, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. This was a rough time for my family as we survived off the food bank and Salvation Army for food and clothing. I remember eating baked beans and alphabet soup every weekend. The doctors told my dad he had two months to live, but uh, my dad prayed to watch me grow up and to see my achievements and to train me into a godly man. With God's help, my dad was able to beat cancer and he is healthy today. He's actually sitting right there. My dad is a living miracle, and he reminds me every day that Jesus is my healer and my savior. However, even with the daily reminder, I still stepped away from Christ for a few years. During this time, I felt very lost, and I felt a longing for something. One day, I decided to pray about being at church again. A few weeks later, one of my friends came back from Seattle, and he invited me to thrive, and I've been coming ever since. After coming back to church, I don't feel lost anymore. I feel that I have a purpose in my life and less worry because I am reminded that God is looking after me. I decided to get baptized because after taking TDS1, I learned that you don't have to be perfect to get baptized. I always told myself that I'm not good enough or I needed to satisfy my criteria for baptism and be ready for Jesus, but that is not the case. Just, be, just come as you are and he will welcome you. My decision to get baptized today is to show that I re-accept Jesus into my life. 
I believe he is my savior, and I'm taking the next step to be closer to him. Thank you. Give it up one more time for Ricky, and praise God for that. God's written a beautiful story in Ricky's life. It's awesome to see that his dad is here to watch him get baptized on this day. Fact is that God is writing a beautiful story in all of our lives, in your life included, and the best is yet to come. When you've got Jesus in your life, you can always say, the best is yet to come. See, amazing things happen when you take Jesus' yoke upon you and have a relationship with him. It's not because of what you've done. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But see, there's another layer of meaning when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And do you know what that is? You can write this down. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he means one more thing. He means follow Jesus' way of doing things. Let me tell you, put it this way. Earlier this month, my good friend, Nick Osborne, Pastor Nick, he is the pastor of Lighthouse Church in Stevenson, and we're good friends, and there's one time that we were talking about this very passage, Matthew 11, and Pastor Nick, he shared with me something that I thought, oh, that's so cool, i got to share it with my church as well, and he told me this, is that when Jewish rabbis would explain and interpret their Hebrew scriptures, what they would do is they would, they would tell people, okay, this is how I interpret scripture. This is what I think it means. They would try to explain it as best they could. And the Jews would listen to these different rabbis giving different interpretations of what this Bible means. And then they would say, okay, I'm going to pick the rabbi that I think is the closest in his interpretation to what I think God intended for this scripture to mean. And they would say this. They would say this. When they've chosen their teacher, they would say, I have taken the yoke of this rabbi. They would say, I've taken the yoke of Rabbi Bernstein, or I've taken the yoke of Rabbi Goldberg, or I've taken the yoke of Rabbi Seinfeld, or whatever his name might be, is that, is that that teaching, that interpretation was that rabbi's yoke, and any student of that rabbi, if they were saying, I'm going to follow this man's teaching, I'm going to take his yoke upon myself and learn from him. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what is he saying? He's saying, align yourself with me. Follow my teaching. Follow the way that I do things. Follow the way that I see things. And so this yoke, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's not simply a picture of relationship. It's also a picture of submission. It's a picture of saying, I'm going to follow the way Jesus does things. And see, why should you follow Jesus and not someone else? Well, Jesus gives a few reasons why we should take Jesus' yoke and submit to his teaching and not someone else's. And one of those reasons is explained in verse 29. We look at verse 29 with me right now. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Would you underline these words? For I I am gentle and humble in heart. See, what is Jesus saying? He's saying one of the reasons why you can count on my teaching, one of the reasons why you can take my yoke, one of the reasons why you can follow what I do is because I am gentle and humble in heart. What is Jesus saying? Indirectly, what Jesus is saying is that, hey, before you enter into that romantic relationship with that person, before you enter into that business relationship with that person, before you allow any person to have a major influence on your direction in life, ask yourself, what is that person's character? What is the quality of that person's heart? What kind of person is that person? And what kind of person will I become if I follow that person? And see, how does Jesus describe his own character? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Everyone say gentleness. Everyone say humility. 
See, what is gentleness? Gentleness is not weakness, for those who misunderstand gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. It's almost like a a stallion, a horse that has been trained so that it's got tremendous power, but it won't use it all the time. It'll use it in the race. It'll use it when it counts. Gentleness is knowing how much power you have and using just the right amount, not too much, so that you can properly deal with the situation. That is gentleness. What's humility? Humility is not being a doormat. It's not just being, you know, this this person who just gets stepped on all the time. But humility is putting others before yourself all the while being secure in who you are. And see, how many of us know, if you want to have healthy relationships, you need gentleness and you need humility. If you want to be an effective parent, you need gentleness and you need humility. If you want to be a loving spouse, you need, effect, you need to effectively have humility and you need to have gentleness. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart, he's basically saying this, if you follow me, you will grow in gentleness and you will grow in humility. So if you're lacking gentleness today or you're lacking humility today, there's good news. When you take Jesus' yoke, when you follow Jesus and do things his way, you grow in the gentleness and the humility that you need. Amen. You know what, there was a guy I grew up with, a classmate of mine, and uh, I'll call him Daniel today. Um, And Daniel, he was smart. He was athletic, one of the smartest and most athletic guys in the school. He was a good-looking guy, same grade. But gentleness and humility are not words I would use to describe him back then. Uh, Back in high school, he was pretty brash, pretty arrogant at times, I thought. Uh, and I remember this one time when we were at a school camp together, and in front of my friends, in front of our friends together, uh, he did something that really surprised me. He slapped me in the face. And uh, I was like, what's that for? And he just, he was just, oh, I just want to see what would happen. And um, it was one of those things where he just wanted to see how he reacted. Another time, I remember at another camp, you know, we were in, a, we, like, I was in the shower. I was taking a shower at this camp, and, and uh, you know, there was a shower, and right beside the shower, there's this window uh, kind of, it's a, or like a, kind of like a, a door that kind of opens out into the outdoors. Uh, I'm not sure why they did it that way, but they, and they had a little latch to lock it, but the latch was not working. And so it was really easy to kind of fling the door open so you could see whoever was taking a shower. I was taking a shower, and this, 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 this classmate of mine called Daniel, he would incessantly, he would like, whenever I'm taking a shower, he'd want to open the shower, he'd want to open the window. He'd keep on opening the door, he'd kind of come from the outside, he'd open, he'd open the window, and he'd try to, try to do things to kind of expose me or embarrass me, that kind of thing. And I thought, man, what are you doing this for, man? And, 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 and you know, at first I thought, you know, he's just trying to have fun. But the fact is this, is only later in life that I realized that, that deep down, this guy was actually hiding some pretty deep insecurities. And, uh, you know, always got the sense from him that he was restless about something. And, you know, that, and actually that deep down, like, behind this exterior of kind of feeling like he knows it all and trying to be act tough, that there was always this feeling that I have to prove myself in front of other people. And I remember when, when we were in university, Daniel hit uh, a wall when it came to his future where, you know, he was working really hard to try to get into a certain field, um, and he was really wanting to get in it, but the doors kept on closing, and he became so depressed about his future. And I remember one day we went for lunch, and we had a chance to talk, and, 
and had a chance to, knowing kind of the place he was in, I was like, hey, can I share you something with you? I started sharing with him about Jesus and how, you know, Jesus has made a difference in my life and how, you know, since I, I came to know Jesus, that it's, it's just never been the same for me again. I've got purpose. I've got hope. I know my worth. It's not dependent on my grades. It's not dependent on, you know, what schools accept me or not. And, and somehow, for some reason, I could really tell, just even from looking at his eyes, that he was registering something. And that very same night, he received Jesus Christ into his life. And, you know, after that, he started to, to kind of follow a little bit more of the Bible and, and follow a little bit more about what Jesus says about what, uh, you know, what, like, life should be like and, and how we should relate to people and relate to God. And something amazing happened is that the more he decided, I'm going to follow Jesus' way of doing things, the more you could sense there was this peace on his life that he didn't have before. He was able to forgive some people that had hurt him in the past. He realized his worth wasn't dependent on his performance anymore, that he was loved by God simply because he's loved by God. And he became, to this day, is probably the humblest and most gentle person I know other than Pastor Charlene. And, and see, that, that's the thing, is that it just goes to show that, you know, it's because when you follow Jesus' way of doing things, you grow in gentleness and humility. Amen. When you follow Jesus' way of doing things, you become a gentler person. You become a more humble person, and you find rest for your soul. You're more at peace with yourself. You're more at peace with the people around you, more at peace with the situation you're going through. So here's a question for today. What is one area of your life where you need to follow Jesus' way of doing things? What is one area of your life where you need to grow in gentleness and humility? Maybe it's about forgiving someone who hurt you. And all this time you've been holding this grudge, but Jesus says, forgive him and it'll set you free at the very least. Maybe it's about serving the people around you instead of demanding that you be served. Maybe it's about saying no to that thing that you are always saying yes to when you know that Jesus knows it's not the best thing for you. You need to say no. What is one area where you need to follow Jesus' way of doing things instead of following your way of doing things? And the fact is this, if you're still trying to do things your way instead of Jesus' way, then no wonder you're tired. No wonder you're tired. Because when you follow Jesus' way of doing things, you'll find your relationships improve, you find rest for your soul. You know, finally, there is a third layer to take my yoke upon you. And let me tell you what it is right now. Take my yoke upon you means one more thing. You write it down. It means to believe and receive what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Because today we've learned that you know, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's a picture of relationship. He wants to be your burden bearer. He wants to be beside you, walking with you in the same direction. He wants to be your teacher, that you follow him and submit to him. But the yoke is also a picture for one more thing. The yoke is a picture of the cross. In fact, the yoke is often described in dictionaries as a cross beam. In fact, Matthew chapter 1130 says it this way. Would you read with me loud voice? It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. You know, back in Jesus' day, Jewish rabbi, they would come up with all these long lists of things that you need to do if you want God to accept you. It was their yoke. They're like, okay, my yoke consists of 13 things that you need to definitely do if you want God to accept you. Some lists were so long, there were some there were lists that are as long as 613. And they say, there are, there are 613 commandments that you must obey if you want to get even close to God. If you want God to accept you in any kind of way, you need to obey all these different things. And for the people listening to these yokes, listening to these, you know, the, these people talking about what I need to do to get to God, it was a heavy burden. It was a hard yoke 
to accept. And you know, even today, when you listen to most religions, faiths, different philosophies, it's very much the same. It's about what you need to do. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. And maybe, just maybe, if God adds up the things that you did versus the things you didn't do, maybe, just maybe, he will accept you into his heaven. Or maybe, just maybe, you will become a god yourself. Maybe, just maybe, you will evaporate into nirvana. Maybe, just maybe, you will reach that paradise. But see, here's the thing. With all of these religions, the one common denominator is this, is it's all about what you have to do. It's all dependent on you. It's what you have to do. It's a hard yoke. It's a heavy burden. But what does Jesus say? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? It's because when Jesus comes in the picture, he says, it's not about what you have to do. It's about what I've already done for you. See, it's not about all the ways that you perform and make sure you check off all those boxes in order for God to accept you. But see, God loves you unconditionally. Jesus knew that there is no way that we could meet all of God's requirements on our own. He knew that our sin separates us from God. But God, when he had a choice to say, you know, I could divorce you right now. I could just say, forget it. I could just say, you know, get away from me. I could just say, yeah, the wage of sin is death. And so die, die twice, die three times, die forever. But see, instead of doing that, God, rather than quitting on us, he said, I love you. I love you so much that I'd rather die than be without you. And that's exactly what he did. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, not for his sins, but our sins. Not for his mistakes, but our mistakes. He did all of those things so that our sins could be forgiven. So that there's nothing that could ever have to separate us us from our loving God anymore so that we could know that there is a God who loves us unconditionally and that we have a way back to him by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about what you had to do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done for you and for me. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. And that is why they say that, you know, Siddhartha Gautama, who's the Buddha, He's the founder of Buddhism. They say that when he died, he's on his deathbed, and the last words he spoke, they say, were, never stop striving. Never stop trying. Never stop working. See, what is that? It's all about what you have to do. Jesus, when he's hanging from the cross, and he's speaking his last words, what does he say? He says, it is finished. It is done. You don't have to do anything more for God to love you or accept you because I've done it all. Give, give God a hand. Give Jesus some praise. Oh, come on. If you're going to give God some praise, give him some praise in this place. Maybe you're still here and you're still trying to earn God's acceptance. Maybe you've grown up in church and still there's that part of it that feels like, oh, does God accept me? Does God really accept me? Can I tell you this? If you're ever wondering how much God loves you, all you have to do is look at the cross where Jesus died and said, it is finished. If you're still trying to earn God's acceptance, trying to earn your way to heaven or earn your way to God's approval, then no wonder you're tired. There's no way you could ever get there yourself. But the fact is this, the good news is you don't have to. Because Jesus Christ has come. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you the rest that you could never work for. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when you take Jesus' yoke upon you, when you believe and receive what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you, you know, the result is not stress. The result is rest. You, your load gets lighter. You can rest in God's unconditional love for you. You can rest from trying to, ex- to, to earn God's acceptance. You can rest from trying to feel like you aren't good enough because the fact is this, Jesus Christ has already shown you and he's shown me that there is a rest that we can find at the cross because Jesus paid it all. Because of the cross, there is rest for your soul. Because of Jesus, there is a rest that the world cannot give. Because of Jesus Christ, you can always say, the best is yet to come. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, big shout in this place together right now. Come on, would you stand to your feet? And then I'd like the worship team to lead us in a song. And we're going to respond to God this morning and we're going to pray for you after. Let's just, today we've been learning that the greater version of you is the rested version of you. That the greater version of you is the one that knows the importance of getting rest for your soul. That takes the time to get rest for your soul. That rest doesn't come from Netflix. That rest doesn't come from vacations. That rest doesn't come from other people. That rest comes from spending time with Jesus and taking his yoke upon you. And so here in this place today, if you are here, then you realize that you need Jesus. You realize that you need him to save you from your sins. You realize that you need a savior and his name is Jesus. If that's you, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to God and just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Receiving Jesus simple as praying a prayer. If you want to do that right now, I'm just encourage you on the count of three, just to raise your hand to God. Let the height of your hands reflect your sincerity. Let the height of your hands reflect that you need God. And uh, we're just going to pray with you and for you. If that's you, you know you need Jesus as your Savior. Why don't you just lift your hand to God right now. And we're going to pray with you and for you. Kind of one, two, three. Would you raise your hand to heaven right now? Just raise your hand to heaven right now. Anyone wants to receive Jesus today? Just, re- just lift your hand to God right now. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? In fact, those of you who have even prayed this prayer before, let's pray it in support of those who are praying it today for the first time. Would you pray this with me right now? You can say, Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. For your amazing love for me. Amazing love for me. How you died on the cross to pay for my sins. How you rose again to give me life. Today I open up my heart. Say, please come in. Forgive me of my sins. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that because of your love, I'm a child of God. My sins are forgiven. And the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?